Six minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Monday. This is your Jewish Moment in the Morning radio program. And today we're going to get right into our uh, nine days format. Uh, we will um, start immediately with our barrel wine in just a moment. <laughs> start immediately in just a moment. Uh, we're going to start right away with uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine. I just want to remind everybody on this Monday morning, Rosh Chodesh morning, all the traditional additions for Rosh Chodesh, Shachris, Musaf, etc. Uh, so keep in mind all the traditional additions for Rosh Chodesh. Uh, in addition, today is... Um, rally Day in New York City to stand up and rally for... Israel, in support of Israel. I pray that a very, very large crowd shows up today at 12.30 p.m. at 47th Street and 2nd Avenue in New York City. Oh, how I pray. That there's a very large crowd standing up for Israel, supporting Israel today in New York. If you are available, and I would hope everybody would be for at least a few minutes, 12.30 is when it starts. Uh, for some, it's lunch hour. Others have the opportunity to come into the city and spend a little extra time. Kudos to the summer camps that are getting up very early in the morning to come from very far to be at the rally today. 47th Street, 2nd Avenue, 12.30 p.m. The location makes it imperative that it be large and that the uh, pro-Israel uh, world is well represented. So again, 47th Street, 2nd Avenue, New York City, please do your best to be there. JM and the AM is on in our nine days format on this very first day in the month of Menachem Av. And um, Rabbi Beryl Wine's series are available to everybody online. RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Phone number at 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN. And we continue to highly recommend his amazing scholarship, not just for the nine days, but for all year round. He is amazing. Today we start with a series entitled Jewish Values. Rabbi Wine addresses the topic, the category of pleasantness. Here it is at JM in the AM. This series concerns itself with, uh, what shall I say, the fifth section of the Shulchan Aruch. In back of the Shulchan Aruch uh, is God. 
And that's the ultimate uh, goal. And uh, the values of Judaism are uh, primary in influencing uh, the other four sections of the Shulchan Aruch. And it's primary in assessing what a Jew should be. Now, we have very high standards. And even if we don't reach those standards, at least we have an idea of what we are striving for. And the Torah does not compromise its values. Uh, the Torah is not, the Torah is willing to forgive people, but it's not willing to forgive values. By that I mean we're not allowed to change the value simply because I can't do it, or I didn't do it, or because it's hard. So for that we have a Yom Kippur. For that we have tshuva. Uh, for that we have all sorts of mechanisms that even if the person is not perfect, uh, we can somehow raise him to some level of perfection. But the Torah never compromises its values. The Torah never says, well, since you can't do it, it's all right if you don't do it. And the Torah does not mark on a curve. The Torah does not say, you know, everybody does it, so we'll give you an A. By the Torah, 60 is a 60, and an 80 is an 80, and 100 is a 100. And so therefore, I felt that uh, as a series, uh, we should uh, discuss and understand what these values are, their great importance, and how we see them reflected in the Torah itself. And many times we don't always see them reflected in Jews. Well, I've always said that one should never confuse Jews with Judaism. It's two different things. And we're talking here about Judaism, about Yahadus, about what the Torah represents. And we certainly should never confuse religion with rabbis. And... Uh, because of that, therefore, uh, we have this uh, system of values. Tonight's value that I'm going to discuss, which is the opening one in this series, has to do with pleasantness, with being nice. A trait that uh, sometimes here in Israel people say, well, he's a friar, which is the ultimate insult in Israel. The ultimate insult is that you let the other guy cut in in front of you in the lane. <laughs> the second ultimate insult <laughs> So uh, the value of pleasantness is based upon a posseg in Tehillim, that, and rather in Mishle, uh, that we all know, Jorcheo Darchei Noam, V'chol Nesivoseo Shalom. Jorcheo Darchei Noam, the paths of the Torah are ways of pleasantness. And uh, so even though that's a verse that we all know, and we recite it when the Torah is put back in the ark, uh, but uh, it's not meant to be merely a nice phrase. It is meant to apply to halacha, 
into how Jews behave. And I'm going to give you uh, eight, nine, ten examples of it tonight. This is not certainly not a full discussion of the matter, but we'll see how this value of pleasantness applies uh, in the Torah and in the Torah's outlook on how we should behave. The Sephorno, Abeno Vadio Misforno, uh, 15th century uh, Italian doctor and rabbi, there was a period of time that a lot of the rabbis were doctors, or a lot of the doctors were rabbis. I don't know which, how it worked. And uh, so he uh, wrote a uh, very, very famous commentary to Chumash. Sforno is the name of his town, but he's known as the Sforno. Uh, he immortalized this uh, rather small Italian town uh, by his parish. So he discusses the halachas of Kashrus, which uh, we read in Parsha Shmini, in Chumash Vayikra. So it says, V'sachayo asher tochelu. This is, uh, these are the creatures that you should eat, and these are the creatures that you should not eat. So he says, what difference does it make what we eat? Why should the Lord be interested, so to speak, in our diet? So he discards immediately as a doctor the idea of health, which is many times advanced as a reason for kashras. Uh, whether or not it's because he felt that uh, this century's medicine is the next century's quackery, uh, medicine constantly changes, or whether he felt that uh, perhaps the kosher foods are not necessarily uh, healthy foods. Having just survived Pesach, all of us can testify to that. Right? You know, it's uh, good old Eastern European Jewish food was cholesterol heaven. Kosher, but not necessarily healthy. And therefore, he doesn't, he doesn't accept health as being the reason. But he says as follows. He says that because there is such a thing as drochea darche noam, there's a pleasantness in eating. So not every food should be eaten because the food itself is, so to speak, a violation of the pleasantness of life. And therefore, he says... All of the crawling things, uh, the shellfish, etc. He says these things, it's not nice. It doesn't appeal to our aesthetics. The fact that in the world it made to certain groups of people doesn't change the fact that in God's system of aesthetics, this is not nice to eat. Therefore, he says, it says, V'yisem G'doshim, you shall be holy. What is the definition of holy? The definition of holy is to be a pleasant person, to be able to stay away from things that are unpleasant. And therefore, he says, in the Torah, it says, V'nitmeisembom, you become unholy, you become defiled by eating these creatures. 
So the Gemara says, You become gross. You become boorish. You become unmannered. You become unpleasant by eating these things. In Yiddish you would say, You're stopped up. And therefore he says that the halachas of what to eat and what not to eat stem from this idea of pleasantness. Stem from the ideas of and he says the same thing is true in the halachas of Tara Samishpocha, of family purity, and the halachas of Zov and Nida and all and Yoledes is all a question of pleasantness. Because in the ancient world it was a question of superstition. It was a question of, uh, of uh, somehow uh, disease. He says none of that applies. What applies here is this idea of pleasantness. And therefore, everything in life has to be done in a pleasant fashion. And therefore, he says, that's why in the Torah, the Torah is worried about not only what we eat, but how we eat. The Torah, for instance, is against fast foods. The Torah is against eating standing. Uh, the Torah and all sorts of, so what do they care what I'm standing? Uh, well, the Gemara says that one of, in today's world, we have different tests uh, for making matches between uh, men and women. Important items like what color tablecloth is used and uh, other uh, major issues. But one of the things the Gemara asks is, does the person eat in the street? person that eats in the street, it's unpleasant. It's not manners. And Jochea Darche Noam requires that we eat with manners as well. The, uh, the uh, din of Mai Machronim is because of the fact they didn't have forks in the ancient world. Forks are an invention of the Middle Ages. And so people ate with their hands, with their fingers, so you had to Wash off your fingers before uh, uh, before uh, being able to uh, say birchas uh, and other things simply have to do with a pleasant way of life, a pleasant demeanor, an attitude of pleasantness in the world, and therefore he takes the laws of kashras, which we would say have nothing to do with this. And he inserts it under this value, that what we eat and how we eat, the way we eat. And the Gemara says, you know, you're supposed to limit conversation while you're eating because ain't masichim besuda. The Gemara has all sorts of, who asked them? The Gemara is not Emily Post, it's not an etiquette book. And the answer is because it all comes under this rubric, it all comes under this title of pleasantness. And there's a pleasant way to eat. And the Torah describes it for us. And uh, this uh, is further enhanced by the fact that the Gemara teaches us, and it became one of the principles of the Bali Musr,
A person is created by his actions, by what he does. We think of it in the opposite. You know, the person is this and this type of person, therefore he does this and this and this. And Saul Salanter turned that on its head. He said, if you will do these and these actions, then you'll become this and this type of person. And therefore, if you will be pleasant, then you, if you do pleasant things, you will somehow become a pleasant person, even if you start out being an unpleasant person. Because a person is fashioned according to the behavior, according to what he does. So we'll see that Sefurno continues and says a remarkable insight. Shemi asher midosov mikulkolos umetumtomos. You have a person that he has bad character, bad behavior, he's an unpleasant person, and he's a completely observant Jew. It's what the Ramban calls a novel Torah. Because without the values, without the fifth section of the Shulchan Aruch, the first four are not going to do it. So he says, Balkorcho yagia lemaskonos madoyos. He said, people will then come because their behavior, their attitude, their manners are bad. So after a while, they will substitute their behavior and their understanding of right and wrong for the absolute understanding that the Lord and the Torah gave us. And they'll come out lonachonos. They will do things that are wrong. The Gemara says the Jews never believed in Avodah They never believed in paganism. Jews never believed that this idol can do anything for me. So then why do they worship idols during the entire time of the first temple? For hundreds of years. Because idolatry allowed them to be sexually immoral. And that's what they wanted. But you couldn't get up and say, I want to be sexually immoral. So you got up after a while because you were sexually immoral. You got up and I said, well, I'm pagan. And in paganism, it's allowed. And if we'll substitute other things today, uh, you'll hear it very clearly, right? I'm allowed. Because I'm doing it. So when I create a philosophy to justify my behavior. And therefore, he says, you see how important the Rabboni Shalom felt, Kaviyochel, in this idea of Jocheo Darche Noam, in the first chapter in Bracious, God says, Nase Odom B'Tzalmeinu Chidmuseinu. Now the word naase implies that he was talking to someone. It also implies that he was asking permission from someone. It also implies that someone helped him create human beings. Naase, let us together make. Now all of that is nonsense. Because God uh, uh, has no partners. So then why does it say Nase? So Rashi already comments. 
that the Torah is teaching us here ways of pleasantness. That even the greatest of people, even the chief justice, even the president, even the prime minister, should not take unilateral action without consulting with others. And that in order to put that lesson across, that if you want to have a pleasant society, you cannot act unilaterally. You cannot do on important issues what I want to do. But you have to speak to others and see what they say as well. So the Torah risked the fact that there will come people and say, well, look in the Bible. In the Bible it says, let us make man. So it must be that there is something else besides God. And in Christology, that is used, right, as part of the Trinity, the us. So the Sephorno says, so then why did God do that? Why did God risk to put the word nasa uh, when evidently it is a word that can cause great problems? So he says, Shehechlit HaKadosh Baruch God was willing to take the risk that philosophically people will make a mistake. And they'll say, that there's more than one God in heaven. Because he wanted to teach us as Torah Sohanova, the necessity for modesty, the necessity for humility the necessity to consult with others, the necessity not to say, I'm the only one that knows what's right. I'm the only one that can do it. It's me. And God wanted that lesson, that value, that value of the fact that others have to somehow also be consulted, that's so important that God risked the word nasa. Because the gain from understanding that Rabboni Shalom himself, Kaviocho, is willing to consult, that lesson is a greater gain than the risk of the loss that people will think that there's more than one God in the world. And therefore he says, Ki besofo shaldovar, the bottom line is, Hashkofos holchos achar hamidos. Behavior governs. And if you have good behavior, so then lochein im yilmedu midos tovos, memele yagiu lidei muskolos nechonos. Then you will have correct attitudes and correct hashkofos as well, because your behavior will shape how you look at the world and how you look at others. I remember when I was in the yeshiva in Chicago uh, a few days ago. Uh, it really feels like a few days ago, you know, when you get to my age, so then all of a sudden you start remembering. You start forgetting also, but you start remembering. So in the yeshiva, I went to the yeshiva in a time when none of us had any money. No, we had an allowance, uh, a dollar a week maybe. 
and you had to give Zdoka from it, and you paid your car fare from it, and you bought the candy bar from it, and that was it. Because my parents had no more, and there were boys and my friends that didn't even have the dollar. So every day in the yeshiva in Davning, there were the, they would pass around the pushka, the Zdoka box. And the Zdoka box, you'd put in a penny, two pennies, because you only had a dollar. I mean, how much could you afford? And the Zoka box always made noise. So, uh, you know, you're never as uh, clever and astute as when you're 15 years old. Because from then on, it's downhill all the way. <laughs> but when you're 15, you understand it all. You got, you, you got it all very clear. So I remember I went over to the Mashgiach, the Rabbi Wernick, Zechot Sadek Levrocha. And I said, Rebbe, you know, they pass around the pushke. And the, everybody puts in a penny. I mean, the end of the week, you got $3 from the whole yeshiva, and it makes noise, and it's in the middle of Chazor Sashats, and it's not nice. And uh... So he says to me, he said, well, he said, you know why we pass around the pushka? Because we're training you to give zdoka every day, to put your hand in your pocket, and every day... He said, today you can only give a penny. He said, there'll come a day you'll be able to give a dollar. There'll be a day that you'll be able to give a hundred dollars. But if your hand is not trained, if it's atrophied, if Chasrisholim, you know, the person is paralyzed, he can't, he never put his hand in his pocket. So even when he has it, even when he wants to, he can't do it. I remember I once went with the Ponovizhirov to see a Jew who was notorious for being a miser. And I said, Rebbe, we're wasting our time. And he said, no, 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 we're going to do him a favor. He said, we're going to rice rice in the guilt for them. We're going to rip the money out of him for the year. We're doing him the biggest favor. We're going to rip it out of him. And he did. I mean, it was a masterpiece. <laughs> you know, and it was a sizable check. The man couldn't sign the check. It took him 10 minutes. He picked up the pen. He put it down. He picked it up. He started to sign. He stopped. He just couldn't do it. His hand didn't write. And that's after he committed and he said he was going to do it and he knew he was going to do it. But because he never gave, so then you can't do it. So this idea, this Sephorno says, is drachea darche noam, if you live a life of pleasantness, so then you change yourself. And your attitudes change. Your behavior governs your attitude. But if first you want to become a pleasant person, and then you're going to do pleasant things, unlikely that it will ever happen. If you want to think through the entire uh uh, philosophy of charity and, philosophy and uh, philanthropic behavior, it's not likely that you're going to be a charitable person. A charitable person has to train oneself. I always remembered the words of the Mashgiach because of the fact that the truth of the matter is that you have to train people. We are uh, just like all of the other in the animal kingdom as far as that is concerned, that we can be trained. That really was the idea of the Musser movement, of Rabbi Salanter and the Musser movement, is that he wanted people to have the values of Torah, 
And the only way to have the values of Torah was to train them to do things. And uh, the Muslim movement was a great success in 19th and early 20th century Lithuania. It was destroyed in the Holocaust. It has never been rebuilt. It is one of the great victims of the Holocaust, of which there are many. Not only are people victims and families are victims, and the Jewish people are victims because of what was destroyed. Let's proceed to another idea in which we see Jochea Darche Noah. It says in the Torah, Kol almono v'ger lo sa'anun. You shall not persecute, afflict, take advantage of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. So Rashi says, Hu adin l'chol adam. It's not restricted to the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. You can't do it to anybody. Why did the Torah mention specifically the widow, the orphan, and the stranger? Because they're pretty much defenseless. They're more vulnerable to people taking advantage of them. They don't have someone to defend them. And therefore the Torah puts special emphasis on the fact that you shall not oppress the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. That's Rashi's pshat. The Rambam has a different view completely. The Rambam in the Sefer HaMitzvos, he counts the 613 mitzvahs. So uh, the Rambam generally says, I will only count the mitzvah, that's a category. Underneath that category, there can be many sub-things, things that come under that, that are mitzvahs, but that's not the 613. So since the Rambam has Avodah Zorah, so then he counts, you know, all the types of Avodah Zorah, but they are not a separate mitzvah in the 613. They're all under the general category of Avodah Zorah. So the Rambam here, according if he would adopt Rashi's opinion... He would put down the fact that you're not allowed to take advantage and persecute another person, period. And the other person includes everybody, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. The Rambam has individual mitzvahs. You're not allowed to persecute someone or take advantage of someone. That's a regular person, Odom Ragil. And then he says you're not allowed to take advantage of an almona. And then he says, another mitzvah, you're not allowed to take advantage of a yatom, of an orphan. And then he says, another mitzvah, you're not allowed to take advantage of the ger. So the Rambam's got four mitzvahs where Rashi had one. So then why did the Rambam have four? So the Rambam saw in the attitude and the behavior towards the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, he saw a different attitude than in the attitude towards an Odom Ragil. So therefore, he says as follows, Bishum noam, because the Torah is the Torah of pleasantness. And therefore, the halacha is, not only shall you not take advantage, that's not sufficient, to these people you have to speak nicely, softly, gently. Somebody else you can holler at. 
Somebody else, you can, you can, you can speak firmly. But the Nalmona, Yosem, and Agir, the Rambam says you have to speak Dvorim Rakim Biyoser Vanachas. And you have to treat them in the best way possible. And your attitude towards them has to be the best attitude possible. The Rambam keeps on saying, more than what anyone else. And you should try and do more and more in this matter. Because that's Drochea Darche Noam. So now we see that Drochea Darche Noam is a sliding scale. It depends who, and we'll see in a minute, it depends on the person himself or herself who's doing the action. Who is he? And then it depends on the recipient, right? Who you're talking to. And if that person, the Rambam says, is an almona, a ger, or a yoso, uh, so then you're held to a different standard. That's a different mitzvah. And that mitzvah is impelled because of the fact that we have raised the bar of drocheo darchenoam. Our definition of being pleasant has been raised. And unless we... we are aware of that, so then we miss the value that the mitzvah attempted to put within us. There's an interesting point that the Ramban makes in his introduction to the Chumash, his parish to the Chumash, the, the Torah. The Ramban, as you all know, is a great Makubo. The Ramban is probably the first uh, person that put out a perush to the Torah, Alpi Kabbalah. He calls it Alpi Derech Sod, uh, the secret, or sometimes you call Alpi Derech Oemes, the true way. But he says Kabbalah. In the int- so I mean, he says uh, Pshat. He says, says uh, his commentary uh, in the uh, in the rational way. But then he always adds uh, Kabbalistic ideas. The Ramban says in the introduction, and it's a really it's strange why then he put it, he said, forget about the Kabbalah that I write in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in my parish. Don't, don't bother to look at it. Unless you're a great Mekubal. Unless you yourself are immersed in Kabbalah. And he doesn't mean the Kabbalah Center in Los Angeles. Unless you are immersed in Kabbalah, he says, don't read it. It's not for you. Because the Torah is Drocheo Darche Noam. It's the way of pleasantness. And Kabbalah is not the way of pleasantness. Because it raises us to a world that we don't understand and we don't see. And if you learn the Torah, or if you're involved in Kabbalah, and you don't understand it, and you're not worthy of it, so then the Torah is unpleasant to you. Because then the Torah says fanciful things that you have no idea what they're talking about. And therefore he says, Al-Yaharsu el-Hashem liros. Don't you, this, uh, this first part of the introduction is hardly ever taught. 
but it's the basis of a lot of problems in the Jewish world. He says, Al He quotes the Posik that the Jewish people shouldn't run up the mountain of Sinai to come see God. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Eish Ochla. God is an all-consuming fire. Who El Kanos is the God of zealousness. Vuhu Yire Es Ritsuyov Mitoroso Niflos. And he shows to those who are able to see it wonders. However, but what is greater than you, farther than you, more than what you are, don't search there. What is too strong for you, don't bother to investigate it. In what is wiser than you, you'll never understand. And what is covered from you, don't bother to ask. You think about what you have permission to think about, meaning the nigla, the revealed Torah. And you have no business with the higher elements, with the Kabbalah, with the secret Torah, etc. Because then you destroy the Drochea Dar Chinoam. And that's what the Gemara says. Four great rabbis entered the realm of metaphysics, uh, the realm of Kabbalah. So one was uh, Shimon Ben Zoma. Shimon Ben Zoma uh, lost his mind, became insane from the matter. One was Shimon Ben Azai, who never married or had a family. One was Elisha Ben Avuya, who became an apostate, became an apikoras. And Rabbi Akiva was the only one that got in and got out whole. So again, why? Because it's not Darchenoam, right? It's not uh, the example that the Bali Musa always gave is that if you, you know, if you go to someone's house, uh, it's not manners to go traipsing around the house and opening every closet. Unless you're a mother-in-law, but otherwise... <laughs> otherwise it doesn't happen, right? It's none of your business. So the Bali Musers say that the, the Torah is our house. And when you come in, we're invited into the house, so you see the living room, the dining room, the kitchen maybe, and you know, that's open for you. But to go around, what are you doing opening the closet, right? You're not, you're, you're, it's not pleasant, it's not manners. It's not acceptable behavior. So he takes this idea and applies it to Kabbalah. And he says, Kabbalah is opening the closet. So if you're worthy, if you're Rabbi Akiva, if you're a great Mekubal, if you're the Ari, okay, Mele. But for ordinary people uh, who really are not grounded in Kabbalah and who have no uh, experience in the matter, so then uh, it's just uh, ill-mannered.
It's not Jochel Darche Noah. It's not pleasant. And because it's not pleasant, then you're not allowed to do it. It's not nice. We live in a time when, you know, Kabbalah is uh, just wonderful, right? Everybody's a Kabbalist. From Madonna upwards. <laughs> Everybody's into it. Everybody wants spiritual. But uh, the Torah is not made that way. The Torah is meat and potatoes. Everybody wants dessert. Right? You go to a restaurant, you order five desserts. Good. But that's also not Darche Noam. And therefore, that was always the reluctance uh, of, uh, of great sections of the Jewish people uh, to even discuss Kabbalah publicly or to have it out in the public domain because of the fact that it violates this principle of pleasantness, of Jochea Darche Noah. The Rambam says another idea of Jochea Darche Noam, all of which we see in this value cuts across all of Torah. The famous question is asked, the Ramban and the Rambam discuss it, why were the Egyptians punished? God said, He told Avram Avinu that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they will be slaves and they'll be tortured for 400 years. And then they'll be redeemed, they'll go out with it. So if God said it was going to happen, what do you want from the Egyptians? They just did what God said was going to happen. So the Ramban says uh, that the Egyptians were punished because uh, they enjoyed it and they overdid it. You can be a stranger and you can be a servant. You don't have to have uh, a quota of bricks without straw and you don't have to take children and mortar them into the walls. And the Ramban says that they were punished for the excess. But he accepts the fact that the Egyptians somehow had a an excuse that they could have said, we only did what God told us to do. The Rambam uh, doesn't tolerate that. The Rambam says, God didn't say they had to do it. God just, not a commandment. God is just telling Avram Avinu that such a thing will happen. It will happen, he said. But I'm not commanding anybody to do it. Because to command somebody to do it is not Jochea Darchinoam. Not pleasant. That's not me. I never command any th- that such a thing should happen. And therefore, he says, the Egyptians violated the Jocheo Darchinoam. He says, why? First of all, Asher Lo Yoda is Yosef. They were ungrateful. They had ingratitude for what Yosef did for them. And that is the root of being an unpleasant person is someone that has no sense of gratitude, no sense of appreciation, no sense of what was done for him. So then that's an obvious, that, that itself is a violation of the principle. And therefore, the Rambam says that they were punished, the Egyptians were punished because they had no right to do it from the beginning. And that their behavior was a violation of Jochea Darche Noah. 
And therefore, the makos that came against them, the plagues, were justified. And being drowned at the Red Sea was justified. Simply because, in fact, that was the fruits of their own behavior, of how they themselves worked at it. The Rambam continues regarding Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is punished. What is he punished for? Well, he hit the rocks. So he hit the rock. So for that, you don't go in there. It's the soil. Jewish agency was unwilling to pick him up. Why? He hit the rock. So the Rambam has a theory. The Rambam's theory regarding Moshe is that's, that's the point that I made before, that since Moshe is the greatest of all human beings... So therefore, his ways of pleasantness are held to the highest standard. Anger by Moshe is unacceptable. By Moshe, anger is not Rochea Darche Noam. And since it says, Vayiktsov Moshe, Moshe was angry, and in his anger he smote the rock, so it's not because he smote the rock, it's because he was angry. So Moshe violates his own principle of Drochea Darche Noam. Where do we see the Drochea Darche Noam by Moshe? We see it, he's willing to sit all day and all night and judge the Jewish people by himself. His father-in-law comes along, all fathers-in-law have better ideas. His father-in-law comes along and says, Novel Tibol, You'll waste away. This is not the way to do it. We make an administration of justice. We'll put it all together for you. And Moshe accepts it. What did Moshe think in the beginning? Everything that Yisrael told him he knew in the beginning. So the Rambam says, in the beginning he thought that Rochea Darche Noam compelled him to do it. A Jew comes and he has a problem. He has a din Torah, and Moshe is going to say, you know, go see Shmerel, I'm busy. Go to this court, go to the Pakid. It's not Jochea Darche Noam, I came to see you. Everybody wants to have the din Torah by Moshe, right? Nobody wants to have the din Torah by Shmerel. So Moshe felt that Jochea Darche Noam being a pleasant person, he has to submit himself to that discipline, to that regimen. He has to judge every case. He has to answer every question. When I was uh, the head of the OU, uh, also a few days ago, so uh, I get calls from uh, uh, my mashgichim, from those uh, that were the kasher supervisors, so in California, they were three hours behind. And then I had guys in Hawaii, and I had guys in Thailand. and they, So they'd call me two in the morning, three in the morning. he get on the phone, he would say, Rabbi Vine, he said, I'm calling you now, I don't want to bother you in the office. <laughs> but, you know, you got to take it, right? Because if you're, uh, what I'm going to tell them, don't call me. So then next time, you know, they'll have a crisis and he won't call me. So Moshe is always at the service of the people. And therefore, Moshe has this supreme value of Jocher Darchenoam. If you have this supreme value of Jocher Darchenoam, then what are you getting angry for? Who said that anger is permissible? 
And that, the Rambam says, was the source of why he wouldn't come into Eretz Yisrael. Because of the anger, not because of the action. We have another example. How the Torah itself and its wording is careful about Rachel Darche Noam. You have to pay attention to the words of the Torah. <coughs> Yosef Hatzadik goes to look for his brothers. Can't find them. He meets a man in the street, in the field. And he says to them, to him, uh, did you see my brothers? You know, ten guys in black hats walking around. Did you see them? you have any doubt that the Shvotim wore the... So the man answers him, Cain, yeah, I know, that, I know what you're talking about. Shomati, I heard them say, Neilcho dosoina. We're going to Dosan. So the Gemara Darshans, the Medrash Darshans on the word, Neilcho dosoina, that from the word Nochel, a conspiracy, Nochledas, they already conspired to make a law to justify the fact that they were going to kidnap and sell Yosef. And that that idea is what the Torah is telling us when it says, Neilchu dosoina, because who cares what, where they went, right? I mean, it's not germane to the story. The Meforshim say, Rashi is the one that says it here on the Posik. Nichlei dosos. The Torah didn't say that. The Torah said simply what? We're going to dosa. We take the words and we read into it the fact that they made this conspiracy. Why didn't the Torah say it? Because if the Torah would have said it, the whole story would be much clearer. And you wouldn't ask, why did the Torah write where they went? Who cares where they went? So he says, Mishum Jocheo Darche Noam. The Cholzerak Beremes. We don't want to say with a full mouth. It's not nice that the Torah should write with a full mouth what the brothers were going to do. JM in the AM, in the midst of Rabbi Berlwein's series on Jewish values, the first lecture is entitled Pleasantness. The Destiny Foundation has an amazing array of, uh, Lectures from Rabbi Burl Wine on every topic imaginable. And uh, for information, you can contact 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. In the conclusion, the final uh, 12 minutes or so of this lecture on uh, Jewish values is uh, coming up. If you keep it here at JM in the AM. We are having trouble connecting to our news from Israel today for some reason, which I apologize for, so we may have to forego the uh, daily tradition of heading to our Israel Army Radio newscast at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Today is Rosh Chodesh. It's the first of the nine days, all the traditional additions for Rosh Chodesh, including Yalav Yavo, Half Hallel, uh, special Torah reading, Musaf Barachinafshi. Today is a one-day Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. And again, all the traditional 
additions for Rosh Chodesh, as you would suspect. Uh, beginning of the nine days, we are already in our nine days format, and I thank you for tuning in. There will be a fresh new edition of the Israel Show coming up with Mayor Weingarten between 9 and 10 this morning, right after JM and the AM. You can check it out on any of our sources, including jmandtheam.org, nachomsegel.com, the brand new NSN app, which I hope you have. 71 degrees outside, isolated thunderstorms with a high temperature of 81. Thank goodness it looks like, unlike uh, what the weather forecast had in store for today a couple of days ago, it looks like the weather forecast is going to hold up today. And the reason we are happy about that is because it will hopefully give more of an incentive and an opportunity for people to come to New York City and participate in the stand for Israel rally. The Solidarity Rally with Israel is being co-sponsored by many Jewish organizations. A lot of great groups are behind today's rally at 47th Street and 2nd Avenue in New York City. The location is important. Because of the location, its prominence in regard to the U.N., its historic value as Dag Hamoshad Plaza, it's important that everybody be at the rally today, starting at 12.30 p.m. We have been told that many groups, including some overnight summer camps, are coming in to participate in the rally. Kolakavod. People ask, what can I do? Here's your chance. Here is the answer to the old question of what can I do? I hope everybody in the sound of my voice will be inspired to actually spend at least a few minutes during the lunch hour today in New York City to participate in the rally, to stand for Israel, to have our voices heard, to do what we can while our brethren continue to live under rocket fire and a select group of our brethren continue to fight the war against the enemy. There is uh, not much information that's uh, needed, and there is uh, no information phone number that you need at all. You don't even need a website. All you need to know is to be at 47th Street and 2nd Avenue today, starting at 12.30 p.m., united with Israel, stand with Israel, be in solidarity with Israel, and uh, make our voices heard collectively during this trying time. 7 o'clock in the morning on a Monday, first day of our nine days format, and this is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Rabbi Beryl Wine's conclusion of the lecture on pleasantness from his Jewish Values series. Again, information about all of Rabbi Wine's work. RabbiWine.com, RabbiWein.com, or 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN. Rabbi Beryl Wine at JM in the AM. And therefore the Torah left it over, only hidden in the words. So that if you want to, you can read the Parsha simply, quickly. They went to Dosan, fine. But if you really want to understand it, means more than that. It means they conspired to destroy him. But the Torah won't say it openly. Rashi says the same thing in the beginning of Chumash Dvarim. In the beginning of Chumash Dvarim, so it says, 
Elad Vorim Asher Diber Moshe Shalakima Bnei Yisrael Lifnei Moso, and then it lists all the places that the Jewish people went. Chatzeros Vedizahov, etc. So Rashi says Lefishein Divrei Tochochos. Moshe is going to tell them off now, right? Moshe is again. You know, the last speech, so he's going to tell the members really what he thinks. So he's going to tell, he's going to give him tochocha. He's going to give him a hard time now. And therefore he names every place where the Jewish people sinned in the desert. But it doesn't say that. It's just... Uh, just names places, right? So if you learn it simply, you know, you just pass it by. So he's just telling you, Ben Tofel, the Zohov, the all of these different places, oases in the desert. Not more than that. So Rashi says, he's Kiram Baremes. They only alluded to it. Because he didn't want to insult the Jewish people. And therefore, he only alluded to it. Amevin Yovin. Those that get it, they'll get it. And those that don't get it, leave them alone. Because Jochea Darche Noam, the Torah is not going to say it with a full mouth. The Torah doesn't criticize in that fashion. And so that even in the words of the Torah, the Torah itself is bound by this value of the fact that it has to do it in a pleasant way. I knew a Jew in Chicago, that was in the kolel in Eishishok when the Chafetz Chaim ran the kolel. So he told me once that uh, he missed uh, one or two sdorim to learn. If whatever happened, he didn't show up. So the Chafetz Chaim called him in to, uh, you know, to call him on the carpet. So he said the Chafetz Chaim turned around. He didn't look at him. He turned around. He talked to the wall, literally to the wall. And he said, I don't know. You know, some people don't come to the Seder. I don't know. How can it be that some people shouldn't come to the Seder? They shouldn't come to learn when they should come to learn. I, I don't know how such a thing happens. And he's, and he's got his back to him the whole time. He's not talking to him. And he says, uh, it must be that there was a good reason. Because it couldn't be that people shouldn't come to the Seder when they're supposed to come to the Seder. So there must have been a very good reason. So I'm sure that the person, uh, once the reason is settled, will come to the Seder whenever he has to come. That was the speech. It's beremis. To be able to tell somebody something without telling it to him. Because that's drachel darchenoah. A famous story with the Chafetz Chaim that uh, that I heard from the Ponevizhirov. That the Ponevizhirov said that he saw it. That the Chafetz Chaim went to collect money uh, for the yeshiva, and a person came and gave him a large donation and stuck out his hand to him. But the person was not a was not a Shomer Shabbos at a time when most Jews were. It was not a Sabbath observer. So Chofetz Chaim took his hand and he looked at him and he said, He said, such a good hand should burn in hell? How could that be? 
So he didn't give him any musr on, on being a, a Shomer Shabbos. And in the Chufz, and the Vishponavishorov told me the man became a Shomer Shabbos immediately. He just terrorized him. So that's Drocheo Darche It says in the Torah, Vayikru Elakim Laor Yom, Velachoshech Koraloila. The Rabboni Shalom called light day, Velachoshech Koraloila. Doesn't say God called darkness night. By Or it says the name of Hashem, Vayikru Elakim Laor Yom, Lachoshech. It doesn't say Elohim. It doesn't say anybody. Koraloila was called night. Because Jochel Darchenoam, night people are afraid of. It's dark. We don't want to put God's name there. So the Torah only said, Lachoshech Koraloila. By Or it says, Vayikra Elohim Laor Yom. We have a halacha that women are not Mitsuva Alperia Verivia. Women are not commanded to have children. Well, if men are commanded to have children and women are not commanded, how does it happen? <laughs> how come? Then what's the logic in the halacha? All the Mephoshim say that God placed a maternal instinct within women and women want children and families, etc., etc. That still begs the question. So the Mephoshim say because... Childbirth is a painful experience, a greatly painful experience. The Torah cannot command somebody to go through painful experiences. So the Torah said it's not a mitzvah. Aye, it happens, etc. Good, fine. That's the way the world is going to work. Excellent. But to say that's a mitzvah, I told you to do it, and then to suffer that pain, that's not Jochel Darche Noam. The Torah wouldn't do it. The Rajbam in Bova Basra says, on uh, the Rajbam is Rashi's grandson. So uh, in the laws of inheritance in the Torah, in the Parsha of the daughters of Tzlovchad, so in the laws of inheritance, the laws are that if a man has a son, then the son inherits him. If a man has no sons, then the daughters inherit. If a man has no sons or daughters, so then... The father of the man inherits. It goes up. It's always in a vertical line. But if you look in the Chumash, it doesn't say that. In the Chumash, it says that the brothers inherit, not the father. So then how do we reconcile the fact that the halacha is that it's the father who inherits, and the, uh, the Chumash says the brothers that inherit? So the Rajbam says, it's drachea darche noam, that a father, should God forbid, inherit a son, is not pleasant. And therefore the Torah didn't want to write it. The Torah left it for Torah Shabalpet, they'll straighten it out. They'll, the halacha will come out straight. But that we should say such a thing, it's not drachea darche noam. And the Torah therefore didn't want to say it. So you see that drachea darche noam governs the Torah itself. The Torah is not unpleasant. Tell you one last point also that the Gemara in Yavomas, the Gemara in Yavomas discusses a man that had two wives and they died, he died without children and one of the wives has to have Yibum or Chlitza and they, what happened with the other? And the other wife went off and got married 
And so it's a machogas beishamai and beisila, whether what the other wife needed, that she need anything or not. So beishamai says that she also needed chalitza. She had to have the uh, the uh, ceremony of chalitza in order to marry. So the Gemara says, but she already married. So the Gemara says, but if she gets chalitza now after she's married, her husband will feel very uncomfortable with her. Because he'll think that they were not legitimately married before. So the Gemara says, who cares? But I care if the husband feels uncomfortable or not. So the Gemara says, what are you talking about? Well, you can't say that we're going to put them in an uncomfortable situation. The Torah is pleasantness. The Torah is that the Gemara in Sukkah says, you're not allowed to have a lulav that has jagged edges at the side, because you may cut yourself. The Gemara says. The Torah is pleasant. The Torah would never tell you to take a lulav that can cut you. So we see from all of this that the only way uh, that uh, a Jew can reach uh, what he should be is by applying in every facet of one's behavior in life. And therefore we say you have to do mitzvahs pleasantly, you have to treat people pleasantly, you have to treat yourself pleasantly. And the Gemara says that the whole idea of obscenities and of evil speech, etc., is because it's not darchinoam, it's not pleasant. Nobody likes to hear it. And therefore this is one of the overriding values that uh, sets us on the path that the Torah wanted us to achieve and makes us v'yisem kadoshim kikodosh oni allows us to at least aspire to be a holy people and to emulate our Creator who is also, so to speak, bound by this concept and value of pleasantness. J.M. in the A.M. My thanks to Iberal Wine getting us off to an amazing start here during the Nine days formatted J.M. in the A.M. The uh, series on Jewish values starts with this lecture you just heard on pleasantness. Like I say, off to a good start. A lot of wonderful things he taught us in the last hour. J.M. in the A.M. Monday, it's Rosh Chodesh. First day of our nine days format here at J.M. in the A.M. with 71 degrees, 87% humidity, winds of southwest at 5 miles per hour. Isolated thunderstorms today with a high temperature of 81. Then tonight, partly cloudy, a low of 62 degrees, mostly sunny for tomorrow with a high 81 degrees. Right now, 88 in Yerushalayim, Tel Aviv, Haifa, both at 86, 100 degrees in a lot. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Masora have 65 degrees, and I uh, acknowledge and thank Camp Masora. I acknowledge and thank uh, the other summer camps that we've heard about, including Camp Moshava and Camp Morasha. And if there are others, let us know. If there are other overnight camps in our listening area that are coming in for the big rally today, let me know so we can acknowledge them on the air. All the email addresses are open. Our Facebook page is open. We would love to hear about uh, any groups that, just like uh, Camp Misora and Camp Moshava and Camp Morasha, are sending large delegations to New York City today to uh, 47th Street and 2nd Avenue in New York. Um, we look forward to greeting them and kolakavod to the uh, staff administration, of course, the campers for standing up for Israel. Everybody out there, this is not just a rally for campers. This is a rally 
for uh, for youth, for adults, for everybody. People, uh, I don't know. What do we say? People from a month old to a hundred years old, and anywhere in between, and even older and younger, if you wish, they should all be there today, uh, rallying for Israel and supporting Israel, and expressing solidarity for Israel on Forty Seventh Street and Second Avenue in New York City. We've dodged the bad weather. It looks like it looks like we've dodged the bad weather. Originally, they were talking about two inches of rain in New York today. That's what they said a few days ago, and now maybe just a thunderstorm or two, which will be uh, which will be great if that's all we get. Um, don't let the weather be a deterrent for you. Don't let any distance be a deterrent for you. Don't let your schedule be a deterrent if possible. I understand that people can't fit it into their schedule, but please, uh, everyone's been asking the question, what can we do? And there have been some amazing rallies and gatherings. When I saw Ido Aharoni last Monday at JFK when we were, uh, when we were, well, in his case, he was, uh, he was sending off the, uh, Aliyah trip to Israel. In my case, I had the pleasure of uh, actually being on the flight. Uh, he told me that he had just been to Metro West in Whippany, New Jersey, for an amazing gathering here in New Jersey. Kolakavod to the leadership, the lay leaders, and to all the people who came last week to that rally. One of so many rallies taking place in so many areas of this country. Uh, Malcolm Holmline was with us Friday, mentioned the Thursday night rally in Englewood, New Jersey. And again, there's so many that thank God are going on. But there is something about today's gathering in New York City where everyone feels the urgency, the necessity for there to be a large vocal crowd. It's uh, right near the UN. It's in the historic Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza where massive rallies have happened in the past and where important rallies when it came to Soviet jury and Iranian uh, and the uh, protests against Iran. It's a place where a very important large rallies have taken place. And today, many, many organizations, many distinguished organizations, many large Jewish organizations are part of the sponsorships of today's gathering. And they are trying to get out the troops, get out the forces. We are trying to do the same. As I said the other day, there are so many wonderful things that we learn from social media, both rallies and demonstrations and efforts to help soldiers in Israel, different funds and collections that have been designated for soldiers and their needs in Israel. There's a lot of information out there. Our role is to do what we've been doing all these decades, and that is inspire people to get involved, inspire people to be there today. How is it possible, unless, again, extenuating circumstances, how is it possible that someone would not be at today's rally if they're able to go? How is it possible? Please do what you can. I know of people, I I heard over the weekend of people who I guarantee you have not been to a rally for Israel in 10 years. I guarantee you. And I got messages that they'll be there on Monday. They'll be there today. And there are people who have really difficult schedules today between summer school and work and everything else. And they are making the time to get over there at some point at the sacrifice of their lunch hour, at the sacrifice of extra hours of work that they're going to have to put in to be there today. A lot of people understand that we are not under rocket fire, thank God. A lot of people understand we're not on the front lines. And we're not one of those uh, uh, soldiers that has been wounded or, God forbid, has given his life for freedom and the defense of the land of Israel. It is, um, it's the least we could do. If you're able to be there, please be there today. 47th Street, 2nd Avenue, New York City. Convince yourself. You know, there's some people who think of every excuse not to get involved. And then you meet people who think of every excuse to get involved. I said this to someone yesterday. Someone told me yesterday that there's somebody who wanted to travel three hours 
to be somewhere. They think it's crazy to, to travel all that time just for a few minutes of help for somebody. And I said there are people who think of excuses to get involved. There are people who think of reasons to go ahead and go the extra mile. So he turned to everybody to please be there and participate today. 60, excuse me, 47th Street and 2nd Avenue, 47th Street, 2nd Avenue, New York City. And that's happening uh, today at 12.30 p.m., 12.30 p.m. And I spoke to my daughter at the Camp Missouri yesterday, and I wondered, I said to myself, you know, it's such a long trip. It's possible they can come and literally miss the rally because if they're, you know, a drop-behind schedule or, you know, it, it is a very long journey for those of you who know. And then she told me what time they're leaving. They are leaving extra, extra, extra early to make sure they are there early and in a prominent place at the rally. And I said, wow, they are taking every precaution to make sure that the kids are there on time and that they're playing a prominent role and that it'll be a day they hopefully will not soon forget. And uh, that's why I say kudos to all the summer camps and all the youth groups and all the day camps and all the uh, synagogue groups that are bringing the young people. A lot of people from my generation remember large rallies and large gatherings in support of Israel during trying times. This generation, not as much. So here's an opportunity to give them an experience that hopefully they won't soon forget and hopefully one that will spur them to greater community service and greater awareness of what's going on in this world. By the way, I got a message from Rabbi Yossi Kanelsky down in Marlboro, New Jersey. There is a rally tonight. So make sure to be there today in Manhattan and then tonight at 8 p.m. at the Axelrod Performing Arts Center in Deal, New Jersey. Uh, Rabbi Kanelsky down in Marlboro is encouraging everybody to be there, and I'm sure that the community down in Deal, which is very active during the summer months, is encouraging everybody to be there. So whatever you can do, whatever you can, uh, whatever role you can play, both in New York City and in the other venues, uh, when it comes to, um, the other venues when it comes to, uh, uh, rallies and demonstrations and Tehillim gatherings and Tefillah gatherings. Whatever you could do. Tonight, in, and I bet you, I bet you that the majority of women who are going to be tonight at Lincoln Square Synagogue are going to be at today's rally in New York City. I would bet it. Women United for Israel, an evening of unity, prayer, and song in support of Israel happens tonight beginning at 7 p.m., Women from across New York's Jewish community will have an inspiring and impactful evening of solidarity with Israel. Uh, some familiar names are on this committee, and it does go across the board. Um, and uh, everybody, all women are invited to attend. An evening of unity, prayer, and song in support of Israel tonight at 7 p.m. at Lincoln Square, 180 Amsterdam Avenue at 68th Street. Information, Women, Prayer, Peace. At gmail.com. Women, prayer, peace. At gmail.com. That is a tonight Lincoln Square Synagogue. And again, I would guarantee that a large percentage of uh, that group of women is going to be uh, at the rally today in New York City. I would bet. So please make sure to... Um, to do what you can to participate today. Also, I um, I uh, I mentioned on Friday 
there are so many amazing uh, funds and uh, and efforts that have been put together, solidarity missions that are that are happening as we speak, funds and collections for uh, for Israeli soldiers, whether it be food or necessities. There are a lot of them, and like I said, the um, the the lists the. Uh, uh, the uh, information on all these different funds are available as uh, social media and email really has contributed uh, to the ability of so many people to give and give generously and give easily. And our role, again, is to inspire people to seek these out and give as generously as possible. And uh, we don't have the ability to check out all of these funds. And uh, you may have heard Malcolm Holmline on Friday. He did warn to to try to check things out as much as possible. Uh, but one of the people we're really familiar with, and we spoke about this on Friday, is Leora Tedji and her work with Armeir Ubracha, the Terror Victims Support Center. We've been there. We've participated with her. Uh, we've seen what goes on. And, in fact, people associated with us have actually been there over the last few days, packing up packages and doing whatever possible for uh, uh, for the soldiers. She's been asked by authorities in Israel to gather as much of the following as possible, talcum powder, insect repellent, towels, underwear, socks, tzitzit, moist towelettes, toothbrushes, and toothpaste. And um, and they are specifically being designated for Israeli soldiers. They are packing these up, and she hopes over the next couple of days, the early part of this week, to get these all uh, to the soldiers. So number one, if you have... Any capability of bringing any of these items from the United States, if you're heading to Israel today or tomorrow, if you have any possibility or capability of bringing these items from the United States, you're encouraged to do so. And you can call 718-705-7444 for more information in that regard uh, to discuss actually bringing stuff uh, to Israel from the U.S. 718-705-7444. Otherwise... Your donations will go a long way toward the purchase of these items and the uh, and the um, distribution of these items to soldiers in Israel. You can go online, terror-victims.org.il, terror-victims.org.il, terror-victims.org.il. You'll see there uh, all donations are, are gratefully accepted and welcome, and uh, whatever you can do to help out. Would be wonderful, and I, and there are a lot of other efforts. Like we said, a lot of things going on, whether it be food or whether it be, um, or whether it be uh, different items that the soldiers need. There's a lot of stuff going on, and your help is of course greatly appreciated. The rally today, the uh, New York City Stand for Israel uh, rally, happens at um, 47th Street, Second Avenue, in New York City. It starts at 12.30 p.m. We cannot emphasize enough that we wish everybody to uh, be there and uh, to participate. Uh, this is a uh, this is a rally that's going to be looked to specifically to see how many people show up, how vocal the crowd is, how much support Israel has out there. Um, there are so many gatherings that have taken place. This is one of the re- really, every one of them is important. And every one of them, of course, you know, we, we ask that a, that a crowd come together and, and do what's necessary to get the message across. But this one, as I said, is something unique because of its location and uh, proximity to the United Nations. So make sure that you're at the community-wide rally of New York Stands with Israel and show your support for Israel. 
in this community-wide rally. Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza, 2nd Avenue, 47th Street, New York City. Happens today at 12.30. If you see the different emails and announcements via Facebook, Twitter, etc., we ask that you share it with everybody on your list to spread the word. It's You know, when you're in Manhattan... Someone could find out about this at 12.20 and easily uh, make it to the rally because there's so many people who are in New York City and may not even realize that they have some free time or, or could put together a few minutes of free time to be there today. So keep the word going. I believe our newsletter, uh, which normally goes out toward the afternoon on Monday, is going to go out earlier this morning because it contains a message, a reminder about the rally, and we want people to to be there. We want people to be reminded at the last minute so that they can hopefully be inspired if they haven't decided to be at the rally to actually make a decision to be there. So please, let everybody you know on this Rosh Chodesh Av, let everybody you know during this period of time that is often designated as one that where we, where we need uh, more of a connection with our brothers and sisters. As we talk about the nine days and the reasons that we are in the situation we're in as a people, spiritually as a people. Um, baseless hatred is often cited. So here's an opportunity to uh, show support and solidarity, to come together as one, to uh, to chant and sing and um, and be there with proclamations of support for our brothers and sisters in Israel. To think collectively and pray collectively for the soldiers who are on the front lines. To think about those who've given their lives so that we can continue to live as Jews and in freedom everywhere in the world, not just in Israel. Here's a unique opportunity to be at a rally, at a demonstration, to have our voices heard. And uh, and all the information about every one of these gatherings that continues to to come forward, that continue to be planned, let us know about them. We love announcing them. We love encouraging people to go and to be, and to be part of it and to participate. We just want to make sure that today, New York City, in the high-profile place, in a location that uh, is quite symbolic and important, the United Nations Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza, we want to make sure that there is a large a crowd as possible for this uh, for this get-together today. And uh, by the way, uh, we'll, we're not only going to be reminding you until 9 o'clock, because we insist on doing so, and we hope it will inspire more and more people to come forward and be in Manhattan today, but we're going to uh, go past 9 o'clock, because uh, if you're tuned in to our stream, to our network, jmnam.org, nachomsegel.com, after 9 o'clock this morning, Mayor Weingarten is putting together a special nine days Rosh Chodesh Av live edition of the Israel Show. Tisha B'Av, as he points out, was the result of divisiveness and hatred between Jews. This year, yet again, an outside enemy seeks our destruction. However, the people of Israel in Israel are united as never before. Mayor will share inspirational stories of the third week of Operation Protective Edge. He'll tell everybody about Ariel Horowitz's inspiring and haunting song, 20,000 People, written in memory of Sean Carmelli, the lone soldier who had tens of thousands of Israelis following his coffin. Ruby Rivlin is inaugurated as the 10th president of Israel. For the first time, the ceremony takes place in a time of war. Mayor has audio and commentary from the special event. And Rosh Chodesh Av today is the yard site of Roe Klein. Here's a personality that people in camp and uh, summer school should be discussing with their students and campers today.
Roy Klein, the great hero, his eighth yard site is today, Rosh Chodesh Av. If you know that name, you'll want to tune in. If you don't know the name, you should tune in. Mayor will be live and will update on the latest from the war in Israel coming up at 9 o'clock this morning. And, of course, he'll continue to encourage people to participate today at 47th Street, 2nd Avenue in New York City. The latest from the Jerusalem Post, Israel has reached only a fraction of Hamas's tunnels. This, according to a spokesman for the organization, stated in an interview translated by memory and made public on Monday, Mushar al-Masri. Masri was referring to the network of tunnels which Hamas has dug under the Gaza-Israel border in order to infiltrate Jewish communities and perpetuate terrorist attacks. We are convinced, said Masri, that our people are on the brink of liberation. He continued by saying the Zionist enemy declared its ground war to destroy the tunnels, but we, the thousands from the Al-Qassam brigades who dug these tunnels with their fingernails, say that the Zionist enemy has reached only a fraction of these tunnels, and we will dig many more, God willing. Regarding the heavy toll inflicted on Hamas and the Gaza Strip so far by the fighting, Masri claimed, even while the battle is being waged, the resistance is recuperating its military losses. According to an IDF source, Hamas built a network of tunnels that begin a few kilometers away from the Israeli border and pass under the frontier in a bid to enable dozens of terrorists to infiltrate the country. In response, the IDF has used a wide array of firepower and ground units to tackle the challenge of locating and destroying so many terror tunnels. Hamas has turned tunneling into a national profession. They lean on highly skilled engineers to do this. We're dealing with all of these threats through close-range combat, according to the source. The IDF and Prime Minister Netanyahu's office have said that the purpose of the Operation Protective Edge and the ground offensive in Gaza is to destroy terror tunnels and seriously harm the infrastructure of Hamas and other terrorist organizations in Gaza. Earlier in July, Hamas terrorists attempted a massive attack when 13 terrorists infiltrated into Israel through a tunnel near Kibbutz Sufa, but were discovered by the IDF and repelled or killed. The incident preempted the government's decision to send troops into Gaza and commence the ground incursion. When you hear what the enemy has to say, as we just read at the beginning of that article, that should be inspiration enough to be there today at 47th Street and 2nd Avenue in New York City. That should be inspiration enough. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Echonishmas HaRav Zeb ben Rabbi Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. The Talmud in Chagiga relates that Rebbe took a Sefer Kinnis and started to read it. When he reached the Pasuk in Echa, Shlich Mishamayim Aretz, that Hashem cast down the glory of Israel from heaven to the earth, the Sefer, the book fell out of his hand. Rebbe exclaimed, Me'igra Rama Lebira Mikta. It fell from a high roof to a deep pit. Rebbe felt that the Sefer Kinnis didn't adequately convey his mourning over the Chorban. What is it about the specific Pasuk that was so distressing? And what did it mean to suggest with the word Lebira Mikta, to a low pit? Hagoyin Ravel Yashuv defines the magnitude of the Chorban. He explains that when Tiferes Yisrael, the glory of B'nai Yisrael, the Torah and the mitzvahs lie crushed on the ground, there is still hope that someone will have mercy on it and lift it up. However, 
Once the Tiferes Yisrael has fallen into the depths of the pit, the passerby isn't even aware that he is trampling on it. His pity will not be evoked even to care for the Tiferes Yisrael. It is known that the great Sadiq Rebbe Limelech of Lezhensk, at the time of his Golos, was once put up by a villager. During the night, the villager heard crying emanating from the room of Rebbe Limelech. When he asked him the reason for the tears, Rebbe Limelech answered, It was a kina on the Chorven of the Beis Hamikdash, because the Shechina, the Divine Presence, is in exile due to our sins. In the morning at Shachris, Rebbe Limelech explained to the villager the concept of Avodah Hashem B'Simcha and the hope that we will have Yeshua Hashem Keharafayin, that the salvation will quickly arrive. However, when Rebbe Limelech left, the villager got a little mixed up. That night, he went out and danced and rejoiced over the Chorben Beis Hamikdash. And so too, we in our day have to prepare ourselves to properly be misavel, to mourn over the Chorben Beis Hamikdash, and to have hope in the future salvation. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. J.M. in the A.M. Thank you, Rabbi Goldwasser. Rosh Chodesh morning here as uh, we've uh, begun our nine days format. Rabbi Beryl Wine's lectures uh, uh, available to you, RabbiWine.com, RabbiWein.com. You can also call 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN. This is the uh, series entitled Jewish Values. Rabbi Wine discusses the topic of peace. Tonight's lecture concerns itself with Shalom, which uh, is one of the universal values of Judaism. And as we saw with Jorcheo uh, Darchinoam, with pleasantness, uh, when we're speaking about universal values, it cuts across the whole spectrum of Jewish life, it influences halacha. And it is also meant naturally to influence human behavior, to set the standard, the bar for what a Jew is supposed to be. Now the word shalom as we understand it usually is translated in English as peace. But to a certain extent that's a minimal translation of the word. The word shalom is from the word shalem, which means to be whole. It really means more harmony than it means peace. Our understanding of peace is uh, pretty much an absence of uh, Katusha rockets. But uh, the idea of shalom that is represented in the Torah and represented in Chazal is far deeper than that. It's an idea of harmony, of an inner harmony, of a person that's at peace, so to speak, with oneself. It's like harmony in a uh, symphony orchestra or in a musical piece. So you have many different instruments and many different sounds. And sometimes the sounds almost clash. And yet there's a harmony to it that gives it a beauty and gives it a, a sense of spiritual uplift. Well, that's the type of shalom that the Torah describes here. It's a harmony, a harmony within oneself, 
because we are all made up of different pieces and somehow that has to have a harmonious whole and it's a harmony in a family where uh, different personalities exist uh, and unfortunately a uh, I had a friend who unfortunately lived all of his life being a bachelor and always said he couldn't see himself devoting the rest of his life to a stranger. Which is one way of looking at it. But uh, harmony in a family is to be able to live, so to speak, with strangers, with people who are different than you are, have different needs, different personality, even perhaps different outlook on things. It's certainly not meant to be a conformity. And that's certainly true regarding children where each child is a world unto himself or herself. And then we have uh, peace in the community, peace in the synagogue, sense of harmony. So again, you're dealing with uh, all sorts of different personalities, ideas, temperaments. And then when we raise it to the national and international level, the peace between nations, peace between faiths, peace between cultures. So then again, we're looking somehow uh, to uh, be able to live in harmony, accepting the other. And because of that, therefore, that requires an effort more than an effort. It requires an attitude on the part of anyone that wants to truly achieve peace. So the rabbis, the, the, uh, the rabbis defined it early in the book, in the Talmud. <clears throat> they took the posik in Tanakh and they said that this is the definition of peace. Ein Hashem An evil person is incapable of ever achieving harmony. So they equated peace, harmony, with goodness, with not doing evil. And the Posik says, The evil people are like a sea, a raging torrent. The waves push up against the shore. They are never, never stop. They're never at rest. And this harmonious whole is based upon the idea that a person wants to be a good person. Now, Chazal say a cryptic idea. Gimel Shlomo saying there are three types of peace. Nohor, a river. Tzipor, a bird. Kadeira, a pot or a kettle. Rabbi Feldman, Aaron Feldman, the Rosh Yeshiva of Baltimore, wrote an uh, interesting book called The River, the Bird, and the Kettle. Since no one could figure out the title, everyone bought the book. <laughs> but the book is about these three types of peace. And each one represents this kind of harmony. Uh, there's a harmony that is uh, like a river that flows, that makes its way, uh, that carries others with it. Uh, that kind of a harmony uh, requires the ability to uh, accept within it 
all sorts of different material. Anyone who has seen uh, the Mississippi River uh, when it uh, emanates into the Gulf of Mexico, so it has taken the mud and the dirt and the silt of uh, the American continent from where it began up in Minnesota all the way down. Uh, it carries it all with it. And that's the idea of a river. A river accepts. It takes things with it. It doesn't, never is interrupted in its flow. A river is also able to make new channels. Uh, it finds its way. It gets stopped up in one place. In the American Civil War, the uh, Union Army tried to dam the Mississippi in a few places in order to be able to conquer the Confederate stronghold of Vicksburg. And all of their efforts failed because the Mississippi found another way to go around. Uh, a river, uh, no matter how uh, um, we try to change or stop it, always finds its course, always somehow is able to come on. And that's the idea of peace. The Sholom is a nohor. It's a river. The drive for the harmony within a person and the drive for peace is of such a nature that even if it's blocked, it will find another channel. Because it's a, uh, as the rabbi saw it, it's an innate, instinctive part of being human. A human being desires it. And therefore, it will flow. It will come. And the idea of the bird is also the same thing. The rabbi said that a bird is able to fly above things. What does that mean? A bird, we say in English, or you have a bird's eye view. A bird's eye view means you see things from the top. You see it in perspective. Most of the time, in anger or in war or in other uh, events that are not pleasant and are not peaceful, is because things are seen in their immediate state. They're seen almost in a two-dimensional state. But if they would be seen from above, if they would be seen with a historical perspective, if they'd be seen, so to speak, the way God sees it from heaven, so then peace is much easier to obtain. We're able to uh, deal with it in a sense uh, that we see a broader picture, a deeper perspective. If you see things superficially, not the way a bird, but the way we see it from ground level, so then uh, you miss much uh, all of the uh, uh, sporting events that appear on television today are all taken from an upper level, right? Simply because of the fact that otherwise you miss what's going on. So that was the bird. And the pot, and the pot has many interpretations. But the one that uh, strikes home to me is the fact that uh, you need a pot in order to cook things. You can have uh, all the meat and potatoes and carrots and everything in the world, but if you have no pot to put it in, so then uh, it's very, very difficult to prepare the food. But a pot is the container. Peace, harmony is seen as a container. And we'll see that the rabbis say, Lo God never found anything that could contain all the blessings. I'll give somebody all the blessings of the world. Health and wealth 
family, success, popularity, good looks. But without peace, the person is ruined. Nothing brings satisfaction. That's why you see many times that some of the most successful people in the world are some of the most unsuccessful people in the world. They're simply here. They're not at peace. They have no sense of harmony, no sense of purpose. So Sholom was seen as a pot. Chazal say the same idea about Yerushalayim. It says, Yerushalayim he otsoro. That a person that has fear of heaven, so he has the treasure, he has the bag. I always use the example, I remember the first time I came to Israel. So when I came to Israel almost 40 years ago, none of the grocery stores gave you a bag to take your purchases home. And I come from the United States where, you know, they not only they give you a bag, they have somebody there to bag it for you, and they t- take it out to the car for you. And, yes, sir. Come back again, sir. So I'm, you know, I'm on Alice in Wonderland here. And so I don't know, I bought 10 items, 12 items, and it's lying on the counter. And I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me. And I say to him, He said, you got to bring your own bags. We don't give bags here. So you can imagine, I put the sour cream in my pocket, and you know, and, and the milk in my shirt pocket. You know, I came all, can you imagine what it looked like at the end? But that's the interpretation, right? You can have all the blessings, but you don't have a bag to take it home in. If you don't have a container for it, uh, so then uh, you're pretty much lost. So the Mishnah says, Rabboni Shalom, look to give us a bag. Look to give us uh, something that we could take everything with us with. The only thing that he found was peace, was harmony. That a person should have that sense of, uh, of well-being that Shalom brings. And that's why one of the names of God, so to speak, in Hebrew is Shalom. One of the questions is if you have a doormat, and on it it says Shalom, so it's not necessarily correct to have the doormat, because then people step on it, hopefully, and uh, they're stepping on the name of God. So God put His name, so to speak, in this concept of shalom. That's how important it is. So when we say shalom, we say harmony, we're saying God. Because God is the ultimate harmony, the ultimate uh, reconciler of all things. We know, uh, the, we say it in our prayers often, Talmidei chachomim marbim shalom ba'olam that the scholars of Israel bring about a great deal of peace. Well, uh, without being too heretical, many times that's not easy to see. Because many times you see that between the Talmidei Chachomim themselves, uh, there are vast differences of opinion, sometimes even uh, stronger than differences of opinion. Where's the Marbim Shalom Bolon? So, uh, my father-in-law, blessed memory, uh, always used to say on this, 
that uh, this is not a statement. It's a challenge. The task of a Talmud Chochem, the task of a knowledgeable Jew, is whether he increases peace in the world or not. Whether or not uh, within himself, within his family, within his community, within his synagogue, are things better because of him? Are they more peaceful? Do people get along better? Is there a quieter atmosphere? Or is it all the time? So Talmidah HaChomi Marbim Sholom Ba'olam is the challenge. And it's an especially important challenge to a Talmud Chochem because of the fact that he has the equipment, he has the knowledge of Torah uh, that is supposed to bring this about. And therefore the rabbis say in the, uh, the Gemara, uh, <clears throat> basufo, the, commenting on those three words that are uh, part of the song that appears in Chumash Bamidbar. So it says that Talmud Chachomim argue with each other. The Talmud agrees that they should argue with each other because that's how we come to decisions. That's how we air all the opinions. That's how we gain our knowledge. It's the give and take. You look through the Talmud, the Talmud is uh, 75-80% arguments, discussions, disagreements. But the end is as voe basufa. And the Gemara says they don't leave the Beis HaMedrish from the word Oev, till they become lovers of each other. So it's the ability to hear different opinions and to respect and even love the person that has it, even if you feel that his opinion is incorrect. And that's a level of challenge that is not easily met. I remember uh, uh, Christ were the blessed memory so in the yeshiva when he would say to Shear he once in a while he would make a statement and someone would argue with the statement and then they'd argue back and forth at the top of their lungs and then he would stop in the middle and he would say listen he said you may be right but I have to teach today so leave me alone I'll talk to you afterwards and that like released all the tension uh, because of the fact that you can have two opinions and still love each other. If you're able to rise above it. If you're able to be that kind of a person. But in the viciousness of uh, personality, uh, especially in the political and power reigns, so then all of that gets lost. And the society suffers thereby. Well, Chazal says, uh, <coughs> said that it's not enough uh, we have the example who is the champion peacemaker in the world the, uh, the role model the paradigm of a peacemaker that we learn what peace means so that's Aaron HaKoyim having the Talmud of Aaron Hillel said always be a student of Aaron Oev Shalom, Aaron loved peace Rodev Shalom he pursued peace he loved people. Makorvan la Torah, and he brought them close to Torah. Now, Aaron Cohen built the eagle. Aaron Cohen is uh, 
the contributing factor to the fact that the Jews constructed the golden calf. The rabbis saw in that a warning. Like all measures in the Torah, like all characteristics in the Torah, there's a balance here. To go to extremes is dangerous. Aaron doesn't want to fight with the Jewish people. They want to build an eagle. So he's a nice guy. Let's build an eagle. Bring me, bring me your jewelry. Uh, take the golden earrings and bring them here, and we'll make an eagle. And you know, and everybody will be happy. Moshe, who is his brother, who is a far sterner material. Moshe comes down, he grinds the eagle into dust, he makes them drink it, he kills 3,000 Jews, he burns it all down. Moshe saved the Jewish people. Aaron uh, pays a heavy penalty in his own personal life. All of his life he bears that burden. Yet, Aaron remains the symbol of peace. Because again, in order to achieve peace, you need those characteristics of Aaron. But you also need Moshe to balance that. Because in every situation, and not in every situation uh, does that fit, right? Because I'll say, We are not pacifists at all causes, you know, in all circumstances. That's suicidal. But what we do learn from Aaron is, Oev Shalom. To love peace, even if I don't have it yet. And Bake Shalom Vrod fail, it says in the Posik. You have to search for it and you have to actively pursue it. It is not a passive matter. It is something that has to be actively pursued. JM in the AM, Rabbi Beryl Wine on the subject of peace on a Rosh Chodesh. Menachem Av here at JM the AM. It's Monday morning. The uh, the lecture on peace comes from a series entitled Jewish Values. You're invited to pursue the uh, amazing array, and I mean an incredible array of lectures that I wine provides on so many different topics, historical events, etc. 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or... RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Rosh Chodesh morning, all the traditional additions for Rosh Chodesh today, including Yalaviyavo, Half Hallel, special Torah reading, Musaf, Barachinavshi. Whatever your Nusach adds for a typical Rosh Chodesh, you add today on this Rosh Chodesh Menachemav. It is the first of the nine days. We have begun our nine days format. Rabbi Wine is always a big and important part of our nine days format here at JM and the AM, and I thank him. Today is a big day. Today is a day that we in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania area are able to show our support, our solidarity, our love for our brothers and sisters in Israel. The majority of us know how important it is to take to the streets, to demonstrate, to rally, to show our solidarity. While our brothers and sisters are on the front lines in so many different ways in the Holy Land, including in some very dangerous, constant manner for those who are on the front in Gaza, we get a chance to do something. We get a chance to answer the question, what can we do? 
And the answer today is to be there on 47th Street and 2nd Avenue in New York City, Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza, right near the United Nations, to make our voices heard. And as I mentioned earlier, I've come across names of people who I don't think have been to rallies in 10 years who are making it their business to be there today. And we've commended all the groups, the synagogues, the organizations, these summer camps, including overnight camps from places like New York State and Pennsylvania, including our friends at Camp Misora and our friends at Camp Morasha and our friends at Camp Moshava, all of whom have made a commitment to send hundreds of campers in today and to remind them during these vacationing summer months of the importance of being there and standing for Israel. And those folks, those youngsters, will be doing a a six, seven, eight-hour round trip. In our case, we get an opportunity to come in from New Jersey, to come in from Connecticut, to be there at our jobs in New York City, and take a few minutes, 12.30 p.m., to be on the streets and express our solidarity and support and to rally on behalf of Israel. Many prominent Jewish organizations have endorsed today's rally. We are not concentrating on those organizations and groups that refuse to lend their name to today's rally. We're concentrating on those in a unified effort who are standing together and sponsoring today's rally in New York City. And there are many prominent organizations. Today's the day to emphasize the positive. And there are many prominent organizations that are sponsoring today's rally in New York City. And we're asking you to follow their lead We're asking you to have a positive response to our words of encouragement and inspiration. To please, to please, please be there on 2nd Avenue and 47th Street in New York City. We've outlined and we've encouraged people to get involved in as many uh, charitable causes as possible, especially those that help soldiers in Israel. Uh, we recommended earlier the uh, our friends at Armeir Bracha, who we have seen firsthand on a weekly basis, support families in Israel and who are now involved at the behest of uh, representatives of the IDF. They are now involved in getting supplies to our soldiers on the front lines, basic necessities. If you want to make a contribution there or if you want to bring a suitcase of items to... Um, to Israel, they'll tell you exactly what they need. You could literally fill a suitcase and bring it. Uh, you can uh, you can call 718-705-7444, 718-705-7444, and call Akavod to those who are traveling this week. Our trip, Bezrat Hashem, will be on Tisha B'av, but a lot of people are already going this week to show solidarity and to comfort those who need comfort and to give encouragement to those who need encouragement in Israel. Um, so that's the first thing. And if it's not the, uh, if it's not that uh, fund, there are so many that have been established that are providing food items and essential items for soldiers. Get involved. Choose one. Check them out. When you're happy with your, uh, your investigation and you see the great work they're doing, give as generously as possible and schlep items to them to the Holy Land if you're going. That's number one. Secondly, there's been an amazing display of solidarity and love for our brethren through rallies and Tehillim gatherings and the prayer gatherings. There have been many, many, many over the last few weeks 
Really, since June 12th, we have seen an incredible worldwide togetherness, unprecedented, some might say, uh, among our brothers and sisters around the world. Keep it going. We mentioned that tonight there'll be a rally in New Jersey down in Deal, the Axelrod Performing Arts Center on Grant Avenue in Deal, New Jersey, beginning at 8 p.m. That happens starting tonight. We mentioned that there's a uh, a beautiful get-together. Um, Women United for Israel. Uh, we actually got this announcement from our friends at Emuna, but the 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 list of organizations and the Jewish female leadership uh, that has um, that has put their name uh, or their organization's name onto this list already for tonight is amazing. Women United for Israel, an evening of unity. Prayer and song in support of Israel happens tonight at 7 p.m. at Lincoln Square Synagogue, 180 Amsterdam Avenue and 68th Street. That's 7 o'clock tonight. So it's it's incredible how many people are planning events and carrying through. And a lot of these events, as we keep mentioning, are getting great attendance and wonderful spirit. But today is something unique. Today, because of the location, the focus on New York City, uh, the world watching carefully to see if, in fact, supporters of Israel are willing to come out and demonstrate support. And I guarantee you there will be counter-demonstrations. I guarantee you there will be counter-demonstrations today. So for all those reasons, and because of the historic location, it is so important that everyone come for a few minutes and be part of today's gathering in New York City. So the information is out there. Like I say, these days in 2014, the information is not the problem. Everybody's connected and gets all these emails and every piece of information possible. Our role is to inspire everybody and to give everybody the confidence to come out to New York City and vocally support the state of Israel and its soldiers at this time. So it's 2nd Avenue, 47th Street, 12.30 p.m. Countless people over the weekend told me how they're altering their schedules to make sure to be there for at least part of the rally. And I mentioned how many, including the young, are coming in from long distances to be there and to participate. So please, before you dismiss it, before you think of every reason why you can't be there, please think of every reason why you can and why you have to be there today. And we look forward to greeting you and seeing everybody. Let's stand in one voice, in unison. Let's support Israel. Let's rally for Israel. Let's be in solidarity with Israel. Again, it's 2nd Avenue at 47th Street, New York City, today at 12.30 p.m. And this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. A couple of community events I want to remind everybody about. Yeshiva and Masifta Tarvadas present Divrei Chizuk for our troubling times. Rav Sholem Kamenetsky, Rav Elia Brudny. It's happening tomorrow night at Tarvadas in the main Base Medrash on East 9th Street in Brooklyn, New York. It is dedicated to the memory of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Henry and Myrtle Hirsch. It's uh, for men only, happening tomorrow night at Taravadas. Information at area code 718-941-8000, 718-941-8000. I remind you tonight at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, by reservation only, the world premiere of the documentary in one split second, commemorating 70 years since the destruction of Hungarian jury that happens tonight. Remember that um, 
the annual nine days program with this Project Witness documentary will happen tomorrow night at Varetsky Hall on Avenue L. will happen in Monticello Wednesday uh, with a 3 p.m. program for teens and a 7.30 p.m. program for adults at the Monticello High School on Breaky Avenue. And in Far Rockaway this coming Sunday at the White Shul starting at 7.30 p.m. Information about all of this, projectwitness.org, projectwitness.org, or 718-WITNESS, that's 718-WITNESS. And yesterday I had the opportunity to uh, see Shlomi Ash, and a Mazel Tov, by the way, um, to uh, Yoni Ash and his column Meira. It was a pleasure being there yesterday as they were uh, in from Israel and getting ready for the big wedding, and Mazel Tov to... Uh, to both families from all of us here at JM in the AM. And uh, I saw Shlomi yesterday, and he reminded me about this revolutionary conference that is taking place on the 19th of August. This August the 19th, three, over 300 insurance, financial, and legal professionals We'll be getting together at CSB Envision Number Four. It is the fourth time that this conference is happening. It's going to be at the Sheraton Mawa, uh, Mawa, New Jersey, from eight in the morning until seven p.m. Insurance and financial professionals, attorneys, accountants, anybody who demands the best from themselves, should be at this conference on August nineteenth, all day long at the Sheraton Mawa. It is. Um, it is really a unique and interesting conference, to say the least. And this year is going to attract some very interesting personalities, including a video presentation from Governor David Patterson, Jack Abramoff, who um, many of you may know has a unique perspective based on his experience in Washington, on the uh, business and professional world. He's actually going to be a keynote speaker at the conference on the 19th. Uh, Bill Cates, C-A-T-E-S, the referral coach, will be there. Uh, Kate Ulrich Saracen, uh, Judas Septimus of Bernstein Global Wealth Management, Naftali Leshkowitz Esquire, uh, Jacob Rosenberg, and many other distinguished personalities. They are all going to be part of this unique conference the CSB Envision Number Four coming up August the 19th at the Sheraton Mawa in Mawa, New Jersey. Tomorrow we're going to get the opportunity to actually speak to the founder of the CSB Envision Conference, and we'll get a better perspective on how unique and important this event is for professionals in our community. You can go to the website thecsbevent.com, thecsbevent.com, and uh, like I said. We'll have more information for you as the week goes on here at JM and the AM. The date you want to circle is the 19th of August, all day long from 8 a.m. until 7 p.m. at the Sheraton Mawa in New Jersey. Go to the CSBevent.com. Eight minutes after 8 o'clock, Monday morning, Rosh Chodesh morning here at JM and the AM. First day of our nine days format. We continue with the great Rabbi Beryl Wine on the topic of Jewish values, in this, in this case, the value of peace. Rabbi Beryl Wine, his lecture is available at 1-800-499-WEIN or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. And therefore, Chazal say, on Bakin Sholem Rotfeu, 
Bakshayu bimkomcha verodfeyu b'mokam acher. Try and find it in your place, and if you can't find it, then pursue it somewhere else. The Rambam says regarding that, that if a person lives in a community that's very contentious, that's full of divisions, full of quarrels, he should move. The Rambam generally is in favor of moving. He says if you're in a place where they don't let you observe the Torah, move. And the, family, uh, the Rambam is uh, the, the Rambam's solution to the problems that beset us is to find ourselves a different environment. He almost despairs of one person changing the environment. So here also you're in a place that's querulous, that everybody is fighting. Everybody move, leave. That's bakei shalom v'rotfeu. Pursue it somewhere else because. It, person lives in a contentious environment that has an effect upon that person. In the Posig we read, Sholom Vemes Nivgoshu, truth and peace have met. Now we all know that truth and peace are antagonistic one to another. Right? Somebody asks you, how do you like my new suit? It's terrible looks awful peace will not exist between us and that's on a minor issue on major issues it certainly is so which should trump which should win whether we should have it's better to have peace or better to have absolute truth in the history of the Jewish people there have been groups that have wavered sometimes in favor of truth and sometimes in favor of peace. Uh, the great Kotzke Rebbe and Menachem Mendel Morgenstern, uh, so he was a great devotee of truth. So he would get up Rosh Hashanah before the sounding of the shofar and deliver his Rosh Hashanah sermon, which went something like this Ganovim, Rotschim, Menoafim. Thieves, murderers, immoral people. According to, to, to legend, people jumped out of the window of the base medrash. It was a one-story building. They jumped out of the window of the base medrash because they couldn't take it. Uh, well, he didn't have to have his contract renewed, so he could uh, he could afford to say. But that's the truth, right? Ruben Begezel. Most people are caught with money that's not theirs. So that's Emmis. Emmis burns. Shalom. Shalom is the ability to overlook Emmis. How do you like my suit? Oh, that's a very nice suit. Wear it in good health. Hey, you look very good in purple. We're talking to a man. So, uh, who wins? So the Gemara says uh, two remarkable things. The Gemara says, you see that the Torah itself voted for peace over truth. 
in two instances. It says, the Torah kosav divrei badoi, the Torah wrote words that are not true in order to preserve, to show you that peace should be preserved at the expense of truth. First incident, incident is Avraham and Sarah. Uh, God comes to Sarah and he tells her, you know, you're going to have a child. Sarah is 90 years old. So she laughs. And she says to herself, After I have become so withered, all of a sudden I will become refreshed. I'll become young again. And even if it happens to me, he's an old man. He, he, what good does it do to... He's, he's old. He's too old to have father or child. When the Lord repeats the conversation to Avraham, God says, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she doubt? And she said that she wouldn't be able to have a child. God did not tell him the second part of the sentence. He did not tell him. And she said, you're an old man. Which human beings would love to say to the person. God didn't say that. Omits it. Why? Because he knew that Avram would feel badly and he would then have a complaint to Sora and she'd have a complaint back to him. And then Go to Lasholo. Great is the peace in the house. The second incident is by Yosef. The brothers, after their father Yaakov died, the brothers came to Yosef and they said, Your father, before he died, told us to tell you, you should be nice to us. Don't take revenge for what we did to you. He never said that, Yaakov. Either because of any interpretation, either because he was unaware of the story, or if he was aware of the story, he thought that, that it was over. So the Torah wrote that. So now the Torah doesn't write things that are not true, even if they're quoting somebody. Every word in the Torah is emes, is true. So why did the Torah write an untruth. Why did it write something that is not true? Because of Sholem. Because then the brothers, Yosef saw how deeply the brothers were still affected by the matter. Therefore, uh, he uh, reconciled himself fully to them. He wept and he said, Would I do anything to you? So the Torah itself in these two instances, went out of its way to show you that the value of peace, of harmony, is sometimes greater than the value of truth. And that therefore the Talmud says that it's possible that the Torah allows us to tell less than the truth not just a white lie, but a full lie, in order to preserve truth, in order to preserve peace, rather. In the only instance where we find that the Torah departs 
from its strict rule that a person should be truthful. A person's word means something. So, we see the overriding value of what it is to retain a peaceful environment both in the home and in the community. Chazal expanded on that idea. Uh, A famous story in the Talmud that a husband was angry at a wife, a whole story between them, and he accused her of something, and she said no, and then uh, the, the, the test was that if she went and she spat at Rabbi Meir, uh, then uh, they would be reconciled. So she came to the base medrash and she spat at Rabbi Mayer. Rabbi Mayer knew the story and she spat at him. And he, uh, he allowed it to happen. So his Talmidim, his students said to him, Rabbi, Kach Mavazin Torah. That's how you let Torah be ashamed that a woman from the street because she's got a problem should come and spit at you and you should let it happen and Rameyer answered he said we have a halacha of sota of a woman that's suspected of infidelity part of the process of the sota was that they took a parchment that had this parsha written on it, and included in this parsha was the ineffable name of God, the four-letter name of God. And they took the parsha and they dipped it in water. The water dissolved the ink from the parsha, so that God's name was erased, so to speak. So a mayor said, "Look, if God is willing to allow His name to be erased." so that there can be harmony in the family between this husband and wife, so then who is Reb Meir not to allow himself to undergo what looks like an embarrassment, an insult, in order to bring peace about between a husband and wife. And that concept uh, reverberates throughout the Talmud. That a person has to allow himself. I remember uh, I was once at a uh, at a convention, a uh, large convention of uh, of a Jewish organization in uh, the United States, and uh, I was there with uh, one of the great uh, great men of uh, that generation. And uh, he knew that when uh, uh, he would enter the hall, everyone would stand up for him. And there was there uh, uh, a younger man who was having all sorts of problems. Uh, He wasn't respected in his community. He was having marital problems, etc., and so the great rabbi said to me, go over and fetch that man, bring him here. And when he came, so he took him by the arm and he marched in together with him. So when everybody stood up, he told him, he said, your wife will see that everybody stands up for you. 
you'll see that'll help. She'll have, you, she'll have more, more of an understanding because everybody stands up for you. So the, uh, so uh, I, you know, in my uh, great uh, understanding of the matter. So when I drove him home later, I said to him, "But you know, Rebbe, it's not honest. If he would have walked in by himself, nobody would have stood up for him, right?" He looked at me and he said, "This Gemara." He said, "Honest up there, I'm better than Remeir. is better than the Rebbeinah Shalolim. If you can help in a domestic dispute, if you can help somehow to patch it up, so then you know. So what do you mean, honest? You have to be willing to somehow have your name erased in the waters in order that peace should prevail." So it's such an overriding value that that's the bakay shalom rodfeo, that's the pursuit of peace. You gotta look for a way to make it. Say, the man didn't come to him and say, can I walk in with you? It'll help me. But he knew the situation. And he knew that it would help him. And therefore he pursued it. He said, go fetch him, go bring him here to me. We're going to walk in together. So we'll be able to stand up. You'll see that it'll have a salutary effect upon your wife. And that will help in the matter of Shalom. We have a concept in Halacha called Darke Shalom. The path of peace. So the rabbis made konos because of darke sholom. For instance, in our relationship with the non-Jewish world. So not just the non-Jewish world, but the pagan world. The difference. With a world that worships idols. The rabbis said you have to support their poor. Can't say, well, if I support them, it only contributes to more paganism. Uh, the rabbi said that you have to bury their dead, you have to heal their sick, you have to clothe their naked. We are responsible, because that's Dark Sholem. That's the harmony in the world. And the fact that you want to limit it to yourself, uh, that was not uh, part of it. That was not allowed. And the rabbi said that that's why the Gemara the Gemara says Why was original man created only one? I mean, why didn't God start the world with a million people? Why did he start it with one? And he said, the rabbi said, I'm greater than your father. I'm a miyuchus. I'm greater than you are. But we're all equal. That was really uh, Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence uh, mentions that he took that phrase from an old Judaic book that all men are created equal. We're all created equal, which is the basis of somehow achieving peace. Not only are we, uh, because of Dark Sholom, to treat pagans and uh, to extend to them a sense of uh, belonging, so to speak, 
I used to notice in Muncie when I was the Rav there that on Purim when poor, poor people came to collect money some of them weren't Jewish so people used to complain to me you're letting, uh, you're letting them into the shul I would always quote this Gemara to them, right? right? We're responsible. If he comes, you have to you have to give money. You have to give it to him. The Alochan Purim is called Aposhid Yad No Simla. Whoever sticks out his hand, you have to give. So that's the idea of Sholom, of harmony, of not to differentiate. So the rabbi stretched it even to Jews who worship paganism, which is worse than pagans who worship paganism. The rabbi said, Go to La Sholom, great is peace. Look how great peace is. Shafilu Yisroel Ovdim Avodah The Jewish people worship Avodah Zorah. Visholom But they, they live good with each other, right? Gemara says this regarding the generation of Achav. The Gemara asks as follows. Achav, who was the king of Israel, the uh, persecutor of Elio Anovi, who is uh, not ranked very high amongst the righteous, and he uh, worshipped Avodah Zorah, he did everything wrong. But in the time of Achav, for one reason or another, that was a harmonious society. The Gemara says, Nobody informed about anybody else. Nobody spoke Loshon Hora about anybody else. Achav sent out, I'm looking for Elio. Where is Elio? Nobody, nobody volunteered any information. So the Gemara says that when Achav went to war, he was a great warrior king, a successful warrior king. When he went to war, there almost were no casualties amongst his army. But when David HaMelech went to war, so David HaMelech is the great king of Israel, He's the author of Tehillim. He's the head of the Sanhedrin. He's David Melech Yisrael Chai V'Kayom. He's the greatest, right? They had tremendous casualties in all the battles. Because, as Gemara says, because in the time of David, they disputed with each other. They said Loshan Hora about each other. They informed against each other. God doesn't like that. So, Godel HaSholom, great is peace. That even when pagan, when Jews are pagans, but if somehow there is a society of peace between them, so then somehow the uh, situation will not be lost. It's not disastrous. The Meshachochma, Rebbeir Simcha Koin, uh, says one of his great insights. He says that. Uh, the angel said at the Red Sea, Halolo of the Avodazar, Halolo of the Avodazar. They are worshipping Avodazar, the Jews are worshipping the Egyptians. Why you pick on them, why not on the other ones? So, what was the. Uh, what saved the Jews? So he says, because they were united, they were together, they had a common purpose, and they felt responsibility one for another. So he says there are just prophetic, frightening words. So he says, Afilu imyu rov Yisrael machalalei Shabbos chas v'sholom. 
even if the majority of the Jewish people will desecrate the Sabbath, God forbid. Yove Hashem Sloachlohem. God will forgive them if their society is all right, if there's a sense of peace within themselves, if there's a sense of unity within themselves. Because that's Godel HaSholom. Look how great peace is. Look what it can overcome. Look how many failings it can overcome. If there is that sense. So the Rabboni Sholom says, Omer HaMokom Kaviyochal Eini Yecholet Lishlot Bahem Kivan Sha'asholom Bahem I'm not going to touch them. Because there's peace between themselves. Godol HaSholom Usnua HaMachlokas The Gemara says Machlokas, that's the most hated thing And Machlokas is the thing that tears us apart Tears us apart, day in and day out And there are people that look for Machlokas They look for the trouble They're always looking on the other one There are posters every day hung on the street here Where it says, Snua, God hates it. A lot of the things that happen to us, unfortunately, and I'm not a prophet, I'm not a political commentator, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know anything more than you do, but uh, in my heart I've always felt that a lot of the troubles that we have are simply because of the way we behave. That's just the way it is. They're unable to tolerate each other. They're unable to, you know, allow it to let somebody spit in front of me so that somehow that person can be saved. So we don't even let a guy change the lane in front of us when we're driving. They're honking two blocks away. Because he sees that a guy may want to change the lane. So he honks right away. Go to La Sholom in my... Uh, humble estimation would be uh, traffic without the horn just let it happen right? back off a little and that's what Chazal said but Chazal also answered that every Sholom has to have Tochocha with it Tochocha means not just reproof it has to have a lesson to it a peace without a lesson again Pacifism without purpose, pacifism that is just plain weakness, uh, that destroys us. Kol Sholom Sholom, Chazal said. Every peace that does not have within it a lesson, not have a, something that you could take away with it, uh, that's not true. That's, that won't last. That's weakness. That's not peace. But Chazal said, but from arguments you never get shown. So it depends. Depends how you tell somebody something. How you try to teach the lesson. What's the language? What's the body language? How do you do it? I I think I mentioned last week that um, I I knew... um, in my youth, I knew a, a, who was a man who was then very elderly, who was a member of the Chofetz Chaim's Kolel in Eishashok. 
must have been the 1870s. He was a very old man when I knew him. So he told me once that, you know, when the Chofetz Chaim had to, uh, you know, if you missed for a few days, you didn't come to learn, or he was dissatisfied with... So he would call you in, and he would say, uh, not to you. He'd turn around, and like he was talking to the wall, and he says, I don't know, he says, you know, there, there's a student here that doesn't come, I don't know, maybe he has problems, he never comes to talk to me, maybe, uh, do you know him? He knew him very well. He knew he was talking to him. He said, "Do you know him? Maybe you could, maybe he would. You could, you could, you could tell me what's bothering him." So they all got the lesson. I had a Rebbe, Rabbi Rogoff, Levrocha. Rabbi Rogoff was the kindest, gentlest man in the world. He was such a tzaddik, and we were all American ball players. You know, fourteen, fifteen years old in the class. And, uh, you know, it was a mismatch, like, from the beginning. But we, he loved us, and we loved him, so we never wanted to hurt him. So, but he, he was very nearsighted, so he never wore glasses, and he was very nearsighted. He couldn't see past, uh, you know, three feet in front of him. So he would call the role. And the whole two and a half years that I was in the class, no one was ever absent. <laughs> because they would always answer, here, yeah, Rabbi, I'm here. No one was ever absent. But the worst punishment that we ever had for how he maintained discipline was that he called you in so he wouldn't talk to you in the room. He'd take you in the clothes closet because he didn't want anybody else to see you. So it was called the closet treatment. But that ended it. You never went back again. And so so he... he he was the soul of peace and harmony, but nevertheless he was able to control. Uh, just because of the fact that there was the tochocha, and the tochocha was that nobody wanted to make him feel bad, right? But, but, until then, we would always have July 4th off as a day from the yeshiva. He didn't know anything about July 4th. So he would have shear, so we all came to shear. Because nobody had the guts to tell him that July 4th, you know, you're not your putter from learning Torah on July 4th. So we all, we all came. Okay. So when I look back at it, uh, with his kindness, with his gentleness, with his peaceful methods, he accomplished more than, uh, than anybody that would have held a whip over us. Nobody from that class ever deserted. Nobody left us. That's God Sholom. We say in Kaddish and at the end of Davning, Ose Sholom Bimromov, God who makes peace in the heavens. What, what do the heavens need peace for? What does that mean? The Gemara itself says, El Yonim Shein Lohem Lokino, Velosino, Velotacharus, Velorivos, Machlokas. And the angels don't... What are, what are you talking about? And still they need peace? So the Gemara here says uh, an insight, so to speak, into heaven itself. That uh, heaven also has different powers. Different layers. It's got to work. Our whole universe is one enormous piece of harmony. Otherwise, one little thing goes wrong and goodbye. Right? Then you, know, you go crashing into the sun. They figured out that the uh, distance 
of the earth to the sun is exactly perfect, that it shouldn't burn up and it shouldn't freeze. It'd be off one degree either way. There cannot be life on this earth. And the whole universe is like that. It's perfectly balanced. So that's Ose Shalom Bimromov. God made a harmonious universe. In, and it's harmonious in a place where there is no jealousy. But you'll notice the rabbis always looked for jealousy everywhere. The famous story of the sun and the moon. That the sun and the moon were created equal size. And the moon said, you know, how can we both be the same size? So God said, okay, then you'll be smaller. So the rabbis in that metaphor meant to tell us this lesson. That no matter how great you are, right, there's always room for these bad characteristics that can undermine you. So if Oseh Sholem Bimrom of God who makes the perfect harmony in His world, what about our world where there is jealousy and where there is uh, hatred and where there is dispute and where there is all of these differences? Certainly here, uh, the measure of a person has to be in Sholem, in peace, and how a person... Uh, deals with it. The rabbis asked the question, if Sholem is so great, how come the Torah talks about war so many times? Very good question. Not only about war, Jewish wars. There's a Mechemes Mitzvah, a war that you're supposed to fight. There's a Mechemes Rishus, a war that you're allowed to fight. Wars of self-defense, wars of conquest. Yeshua comes into the land of Israel Moshe makes war with Sichon and Og. If peace is such a virtue. So in the war itself we have a halacha that posting b'sholom. You're not allowed to go to war without attempting to make peace first. Not attempting to settle the matter first. With non-violent means. A war is a last resort. But the Gemara says... The wars led to peace. Sometimes, that's Moore's opinion, sometimes the milchama is the only method left to achieve peace afterwards. The Gemara talks about war against evil, for instance, not to have made war against Hitler, not to have conducted the Cold War against Stalin and the Russians, not to defend ourselves against the intifadas, that would have all been suicidal. And therefore, the war becomes the instrument for the ultimate peace. The question the Talmud always raises is, what do you do after the war? And in most of human history, after the war has not been a success. Wars have been more of a success than after the war. The Gemara is uh, really astounded that asks, V'chiyesh Odom, are there people in the world who hate, pe- who hate peace? And the Gemara answers, yes. The Gemara is not naive. Esav was a man that's his business. Well, I mean, West Point goes out of business. Samsir goes out of business if there are no wars. What are you going to do? The, the great worry that occurred in the world economy after the fall of the Soviet Union is what's going to be with the armament industry? So God help that the armament industry is still flourishing. Uh, there was a German general by the name of Bernardi. 
uh, who in 1909 wrote a book in which he said that war is the best thing that can happen. Was they justified the war five years before it began. The book was very widely read in Europe. It had great popularity. And he said it would cleanse Europe. All the dross would be burned off. Uh, the general of the Austrian army, General Conrad, uh, at the beginning of the uh, First World War in August 1914, said what Europe needs is a good short war. So what God gave them was a bad long war. A war that till today affects us. Ninety years later, we still live in the shadow of that great bloodbath. But there were people who said, that's wonderful, right? They justified it. And they went off to war in cheering crowds. And no one saw the 20 million dead ahead of them. No one saw what was the, the fall of the empires. They destroyed themselves. But the Gomorrah recognizes it. The Gomorrah says there are those that are for it. And therefore we have to be careful not to fall into that trap. J.M. in the A.M., Rabbi Berlwein, the um, series is entitled Jewish Values. The specific lecture you're listening to is entitled Peace, here at J.M. in the A.M. Monday morning on this Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, first of the nine days here at J.M. in the A.M. I'd like to go through, go through some of the information we have for you and then... Uh, Get to a special selection. It is unusual that we would Dafka play, specifically play a, even an a cappella selection during our nine days format. But I believe today, with the rally that's uh, scheduled for 12:30 p.m. in New York, with the confidence that we have that people will be coming out, and with the inspiration that some people need to come out for a few minutes and participate, I think that it would be a good idea to close out with a specific selection. I will. Outline that for you before we wrap things up this morning here at JM in the AM. I do want to point out that uh, Mayor Weingarten is going to continue uh, encouraging everybody to participate in today's rally. It's going to be happening during the Israel Show. Go to Facebook.com slash the Israel Show. Facebook.com slash the Israel Show. Mayor Weingarten today on this Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av live edition of the Israel Show will talk about Tishabov being the result of divisiveness and hatred between Jews. This year, an outside enemy again seeks our destruction. The people of Israel in Israel are united as never before. He'll share inspirational stories of the third week of Operation Protective Edge. He'll tell you about Ariel Horowitz's inspiring and haunting song, 20,000 People, written in memory of Sean Carmeli, the lone soldier who had tens of thousands of Israelis following his coffin. Ruby Rivlin was inaugurated as the 10th president of Israel for the first time. This ceremony took place in time of war. Mayor will have audio and commentary from the event. Also, Rosh Chodesh Av is the eighth yard site of hero Roe Klein. If you know the name, you'll want to tune in. If you don't know the name, you should tune in. Mayor will be live. He'll update everybody on the latest regarding Israel. That's happening 15 minutes from now on our stream at jmnam.org. NahumSiegel.com and the brand new NSN app. So he'll have that between 9 and 10 right after JM and the AM. And of course, he'll continue to encourage people to be on 2nd Avenue and 47th Street today at 12.30 p.m. 
kudos to those who are coming in from long distances. We've outlined some of these summer camps that are going to be in today, traveling three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours round trip in order to be there at the rally. People from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, converging on New York City to be part of today's rally. There are many distinguished Jewish organizations, many large and distinguished Jewish organizations that are participating as sponsors of today's gathering. We are not going to concentrate on those who are not participating. We're going to concentrate on those that are. And I thank all the participating sponsoring organizations for putting together this ability for us to demonstrate and to show unity and solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Israel and with the brave soldiers of the IDF. 12.30 today, and I said to somebody who said that he can't make it for the entire time, I said, no problem. Come for 15 minutes. There'll be somebody else 15 minutes later that's going to come late who will replace you. Come for 15 minutes if that's all you can. And be there at the rally today, 2nd Avenue at 47th Street in New York City. We know the importance of there being a very good showing. We know the importance of there being a united voice. We know there will be counter demonstrations. We also know that there are other rallies that are planned for today and for tonight. Kolakavod. There are so many gatherings that have taken place, Tehillim and Tefillah and rallying and demonstrating. Every one of them important, and many of them have gotten a tremendous number of people. But all agree that the one in New York City today needs to have a major attendance. So we hope everybody will participate today. 2nd Avenue and 47th Street in New York City. couple of community events. want to again remind you, those of you who are in the insurance, financial, and legal professions, on August the 19th, CSB and Vision Number 4 happens at the Sheraton Mawa here in New Jersey. It's an all-day conference for insurance and financial professionals, attorneys, accountants, and more. Tomorrow we get the opportunity to speak with the founder of the event and discuss why CSB this year is going to be its best year ever. You can go to the web, the csbevent.com the csbevent.com reminder tonight project witness has its world premiere of in one split second commemorating 70 years since the destruction of hungarian jury that happens by reservation only tonight at the museum of jewish heritage the the program the documentary will be shown tomorrow night at veretsky hall in brooklyn on avenue l starting at 7.30 in Monticello on Wednesday at the Monticello High School, a 3 p.m. program for teens and a 7.30 p.m. program for adults, and in Far Rockaway Sunday at the White Shul, information projectwitness.org or 718-WITNESS, 718-WITNESS. A reminder that Yeshiva and Masifta Taravadas has Divrei Chizuk for our troubling times with Rav Sholem Kamenetsky and Rav Elia Brudny. That's happening this Tuesday, Yeshiva Tarvadas, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. in the main base Medrash on East 9th Street. Keep that in mind. Tonight, Women United for Israel gathers at Lincoln Square Synagogue. Women United for Israel, an evening of unity, prayer, and song in support of Israel. Tonight at 7 p.m. at Lincoln Square, 180 Amsterdam Avenue at 68th Street in New York City. Everybody all the ladies are encouraged to attend. The Center for Jewish Life and many other participating synagogues across Monmouth County will be at the rally in support of Israel tonight, presented by the Jewish Federation. That's tonight at 8 p.m. at the Axelrod Performing Arts Center on Grant Avenue in Deal, New Jersey. Again, there are many people who will be at today's rally, and then tonight they'll be at other rallies and tefillah gatherings and demonstrations. Kolakavod, the more the better, of course. 
Today we want to make sure everybody's going to be at the rally in New York City on 2nd Avenue at uh, at the 47th Street in New York. Uh, many, many great funds have been established to help uh, with needs for soldiers in Israel. If you go on social media, you can start investigating them for yourself um, and seeing uh, just how many different ways you could support the efforts of providing food and providing uh, essentials for soldiers. We encourage you to do so. If you want to get in touch with Yorah Tedji and the people at Armei or Bracha, they are collecting talcum powder, insect repellent, towels, underwear, socks, tzitzis, moist towelettes, toothbrushes, and toothpaste for the soldiers. You can dial 718-705-7444, 718-705-7444 for information on that. Many things going on. Make sure to be there today. 2nd Avenue, 47th Street in New York City. Make sure to be tuned into Mayor Weingarten right after JM and the AM on our network, jmandtheam.org. You'll be able to hear more inspirational words, and the mayor will continue the plea for everybody to be there in New York City today. There will be counter-demonstrations, and the world will be watching to see who's there. I hope that everybody out there has an opportunity to stop by at least for a few minutes, show support for Israel be there with a strong voice, united on behalf of our brothers and sisters and on behalf of the Israel Defense Forces. Even though it's the nine days and even a cappella selections generally are not presented here at JM and the AM during this program during the nine days, I feel that we should close out the plea for everybody to be on 2nd Avenue and 47th Street in New York City with this selection, Misha Beirach at JM and the AM. Me, you, la, la, la. 
Today we have the opportunity to stand with our brothers and sisters of the IDF, to stand with our brothers and sisters of the Holy Land of the State of Israel. Uh, that has been our focus this morning. There's a lot to talk about, and there's plenty of news out there, and uh, some of the news we discussed earlier. But this morning for us, uh, the um, the plea is very simple. Be inspired to the point that you're out there on the streets of New York City. Weather looks like it's holding up. Whatever rumors we heard about uh, storms and a lot of rain does not look like it's going to happen at this point, based on the forecasts. A lot of people think of excuses not to be there when needed. Try to think of an excuse to be there. If you can only be there for a few minutes, be there for a few minutes. There, are, As we said, there are people coming in who are going to be on the road six, seven, eight hours round trip to be at the rally today in New York City. Um, if you could be part of it, if you're able to do it, please do. 2nd Avenue, 47th Street. There are so many great rallies and demonstrations and Tehillim and Tefillah gatherings that are taking place. This one is one of the high-profile ones that needs great attendance. I guarantee you there will be counter-demonstrations taking place. So please, whatever you could do to be there, 2nd Avenue, 47th Street in New York City, please be there. Kudos and a big thank you to all the sponsoring organizations. Today we don't concentrate on those who are not sponsoring the event. Today we concentrate on those who are sponsoring the event. And we thank them for their leadership and for being there for the community and for our brothers and sisters in the state of Israel. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmdm.org. Mayor Weingarten is next. JMNAM.org, NachumSiegel.com, NSN app. Mayor Weingarten is next with the Israel Show, a live edition and a very important one with appropriate selections, more talk about Israel and the rally, news from Israel, and a memorial for the one and only Roe Klein, a great hero of Israel, whose yard site is today on Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. Have a wonderful Rosh Chodesh, if we could say that during the nine days. And until tomorrow, it's Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.